The following episode was recorded before March 2024, and while the content shared is valuable and useful, it features Rob, who is no longer involved in the business. We are back once again. Let me introduce you to the man who tells restaurants he's allergic to mushrooms just so they won't put it on his food. It's Robert Temple. And let me introduce my co-host, the man who at the age of 35 does not have a driving license and has no intention of getting one. It's mind reader extraordinaire, Kennedy. Thank you very much. Let's start the show. Robin Kennedy can get inside your head. Now they can help you see how your subscribers think instead. You've got to live. Hey, this is Rob and Kennedy Hello. from Response Suite. And today, Kennedy, we are being joined by our guest. Yes. Now, our guest, Amy Bishop. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple of different things here. She either did one of these three things. She either once ate sushi incorrectly in a public place. Incorrectly? What did she use? Like her toes? That's okay. What are you getting? Okay. Or she is a grown adult, but with a full uh, space hopper in the office instead of an office chair. Okay. Or... She audibly says the word ka-ching every time she deletes an email from her email inbox. Which of those things do you believe to be true? I think she, uh, she ha- I, I, bet, I bet she might, maybe she has kids and stuff. So maybe, yeah, I'm going to go. She's got a space hopper in the office. Amy, which of those th- three things is true? It was actually number one. Um, and I was with a really big client at the time and I hadn't eaten sushi very uh, frequently. I grew up on a farm in a rural area, so it just was not something that we did, <laughs> and I love it now. But um, it was actually edamame. I just thought that you just ate the whole thing, pod and all. And uh, finally, they kind of like tapped my arm and they were like, You don't eat that part. You just eat. That's the poisonous the bit. Beans inside. Yeah. It was just crazy I'm going to tell you now I've never had sushi I'm not I'm not sure it's for me and I don't know what edamame is I thought that was a thing that happened to you in the, doc- the doctors um what what, <laughs> what what is it it's it's actually soybeans oh they, okay um yeah they boil them and then you just dip them in soy sauce but you don't eat the whole pod you just eat the beans Oh. Well, I shall bear that in mind if I'm ever trapped into going for sushi. Yeah, I've never had it either. I've, I've never had it, and it just always always freaks me out. But we're not here really to talk about sushi, although that would be lovely. I'm sure you could describe to us exactly why sushi is <laughs> wonderful and why the world's going gaga for it. But we're here to talk about something weird in the world of retargeting and remarketing, mm. aren't we? Yeah, loads of people talk about retargeting as being a thing that you do with Facebook ads or Google ads or different ads platforms. Yeah. But actually, the original form of it, I guess, the the OG was people, you know, talking about doing it with email. Emailing what? People. The O? Original gangster. The original gangster of email marketing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. People used to talk about it and they used to um, they used to just email people if they didn't buy a thing. Everyone in the office is looking at me right now. <laughs> the OG. It sounds like you've suddenly gone into Dawson's Creek. <laughs> <laughs> um 
Yeah, people would talk about email as the thing you email people when they didn't buy the thing that you maybe could have had them buy. Yeah. And it sort of got lost a little bit, hasn't it, in terms of people now get so excited about doing it with ads. So where does email fit into the retargeting process? Yeah, so good question. Um, and I, just as a, a quick little bit of background, I've worked in roles where I was very hands-on with marketing automation, and I still do some marketing automation consulting, but I tend to lean really heavily into paid media, right. which okay. may also be known to some as the dark side. Um, <sighs> but after having worked in nearly all aspects of digital marketing, I think it's really safe to say that departments and teams are still fairly siloed, and it almost seems that as each different department progresses, and becomes more advanced, they just become more and more involved with their own programs. And there's not as much crosstalk, even though everyone can agree that collaboration is important in practice. It just doesn't always happen because people are really busy yeah. and their heads down working on their deliverables. Yeah. But this becomes a really big problem when paid channels start picking up leads or sales that probably could have come through organic channels or email and Email marketing is a really good example because if you have a good email program and it's converting folks to sales, then you want to do everything that you can to maintain that momentum. And your email marketing is a sunk cost, so you've already spent the money. But I still see a lot of media campaigns that are competing with email for that leader sale since you've already invested the money in email marketing. And if you know that email marketing converts well, you don't want to rob Peter to pay Paul. Um, and spend the extra money on media to capture the sale that you could have had through email anyway. Okay, so, let's pull that out. So the way lots of people are doing this, yeah. including me, is that somebody will come into your business, they will opt in maybe or register for a webinar, and now they don't take the next step and you want to retarget them. And so what happens is you've dropped them into a Facebook audience and they now start seeing Facebook ads about that thing. But at the same time, maybe four hours later, they get an email saying, oh, you didn't buy the thing, go and buy the thing. And actually now if they buy it through the Facebook ad, you've just spent some money you didn't need to spend because that email might have done it by itself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, and if cool. you think about people that actually have made a purchase and you want to maybe reach out to them a month later about a cross sell or an upsell, then your media team over here, they have their plan to do that. And the email team over here has their plan to do that, but they may not be talking. So the media could be running before the email even goes out. So you don't even know you could have potentially captured that sale. And I love that. And one that's interesting is because for me, I am the media and the email team. I'm both of those things. Yet I'm still siloed, as you like to call it, in my head. Mm -hmm. I think about, I think about my, I've got my email hat on right now and I'm logging in and I'm doing all that campaigny stuff and I'm sending my broadcast and then ooh, change gear, change hat, change the way that I think so I can remember yeah. how the Zook platform works again so I can crack it and, and there and, and and go into Zuckerville. I, I, I get that. And, and for me, getting those two pieces to talk to each other, I mean, I've, it's interesting. It seems obvious, obviously, now we're talking about it, but getting those pieces to work in like some kind of harmonious relationship where they actually one affects the other. And you, you may as well get the email to try and do some work first is what we're saying, right? Exactly. And it, and you bring up a good point, even if you are the person that's managing both. Typically, we have, we've built out our strategy for each, and then we have our action items and our tactics that we know that we need to go out and get done so that we can start attacking this strategy. And we can just get focused on, I need to execute these things that it's easy to not kind of cross reference that list and how they impact each other. Yeah, this is really, really interesting because actually over a period of time, this this could knock 
thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars off your ad spend. And it's what you do is you look at your ad spend and you say, well, do you know what? Our retargeting ads, we've spent $100,000 on the retargeting ad. It's made $400,000 in sales. That's 300 grand in profit. Get in. It's well, a lucky day, isn't it? That's it's nice. great. That's happy by everyone's yeah. standards. But actually, that could be $300,000 you didn't have to spend if you could have done some of it, all of it, most of it by email. So let's take a look yeah. at what that's going to look like. Let's paint the picture for us all now. At that campaign execution level, what does that look like? So let's take, let's take an example from yourself. Great question. Okay. So I like to start by creating a matrix of what's working well. Um, it's either high volume, low CPL or high return on ad spend, or even if it's low volume, but still high return on ad spend, low CPL, we have those two quadrants. And then separately, we have two quadrants for what's not working well. So it's either um, low volume and also low return, or it's high volume, but also still low return. And then the reason that this is valuable, because then you can start to map out what your actions will be from other channels to support or boost these campaigns. And the cardinal rule is really don't cannibalize what's already working, especially if it's coming through a less expensive channel. So when I map out those quadrants, I map that out for all of the different campaigns that I'm running, both paid and email marketing campaigns, as well as any other campaigns that you're running. And then you can take a look at what's working well for each of these and start with, I typically start with your free or least expensive or sunk cost campaigns first to see what's working and how we can avoid cannibalizing those. And then also look at the ones that aren't working that well and see how you can boost those up. And there are a lot of, there's a whole different host of things that you can do with paid media to support email marketing on that side of the house. But with, with media, it's really easy to accidentally step on the toes of other channels. Sure. So just to share one quick example of how we've made this work. Um, I was working with one of my email, my e-com clients and they knew that they were capturing a lot of sales through email, but they were also capturing a lot of sales through remarketing. The remarketing campaigns weren't taking into account who they did or did not already have an email address for. And then the remarketing campaign started firing as soon as someone had visited the site, which isn't unusual. A lot of people run their campaigns that way. Um, but also important to know the budget was tight. So we were always looking for ways to try to stretch the budget. So we decided to do an analysis of their email capture lead to sale velocity to try to understand what percentage of leads closed and within what time frame. And so we did this both to understand first purchaser trends. So people that came to the site, they gave their email address, but hadn't purchased yet but also to understand repeat purchaser trends. So they had a lot of repeat purchasers. And if someone had already purchased and we were going to market a refill or an upsell or a cross sell, how effective was email at this? And if someone was going to purchase after having received the email, how quickly did that typically happen? And so then we mapped out that email sequence to be automated because that's really important too. If you're sending your emails um, at irregular timeframes, it will be really hard for you as a media strategist or your team that's doing the media strategy to try to work around you if it's not consistent. Mm -hmm. So we mapped out those email sequences to be automated to fall at the beginning of those windows along with follow-up emails for anybody who hadn't yet purchased. And then we created our remarketing pools so that they wouldn't start delivering ads until the latter part of that window. We didn't want to miss that window entirely. That is something that I could debate on with mm -hmm. people. Um, you could potentially run emails all through that kind of window where we know they're most likely to purchase and you could start remarketing after that window, but we didn't want to accidentally risk losing sales by missing that window and having them go somewhere else. Um, so 
we had to start at the latter part of the window just to ensure that anything that was likely going to come through email first had the chance to come through email. And then if not, then it was picked up by remarketing. And the end result was a really nice increase in sales and an increase in repeat purchasers Mm -hmm. as our budget was spent more effectively. But full disclosure, um, through paid media, we did see a slight decrease in return on ad spend, but gains overall. And the reason that this is important to note is that it's not surprising. It's kind of expected if you start picking, if you stop picking all of the low hanging fruit with media and let email pick up more of that, you can focus more of your media on getting those net new purchasers or those harder to uh, harder to convert repeat purchasers. But you're overall expanding your overall um, reach and then also increasing the lifetime value overall. So, and so are we actually talking about yeah. spending the same amount mm-hmm. on on that retargeting ad spend? But it means that yeah. for for a for a, for basically we've got this. Let's say as a hundred people in our whole retargeting strategy for email and uh, and for the the ads. But rather mm-hmm. than having there's a hundred people in that, but maybe we take ten of those people and we convert them with email first. Now we can spend the same budget to market to ninety people as we were to. To, to those full hundred. That's what we're really talking about, isn't it? It's about a more concentrated budget spend here. Yeah, or or in this case, it was more like if we had been remarketing a hundred people, but then we found out that 25 of them could actually be converted to email, we're still going to spend the same budget, but we're going to go get 25 different people in addition to the 75 that we were going to get. So you could reallocate some of your budget back to front end initially, yeah. bringing them in yeah. and then... That's really cool. That's a really interesting idea. I mean, technologically speaking, is this a case of uh, making sure that you have, do you need to have your email marketing platform somehow speaking to Facebook audiences, for example, or whatever, and dropping them in at a certain point? Technologically, on a simple level, how does somebody set something like this up? You know, in an ideal world, that's the most ideal situation, but you don't have to. Um, If you don't, what you would just want to do is make sure when you set up your audiences for remarketing, let's say that after someone makes a purchase, let's just say for the sake of example, your email is going to go out three weeks after they make a purchase to remind them um, of an upsell or an accessory or something like that. Then you just need to set your remarketing pool that's going to follow that to make sure that it doesn't start until a week or two weeks or three weeks after that. So you can do that by building your remarketing pool and building it as big as you want based upon how long you want to remarket. And then you can set an exclusion to say anybody that's purchased in the last four weeks, add that as an exclusion. So that way you're not going to start remarketing people until a week after your email has gone out. And what's lovely is that if if the people who do buy through email get taken out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is much simpler yeah. than I thought. I was thinking I'm now going to have to have, like like Rob said, I'm going to have to have my email platform talking to Facebook. But actually, if you just do it through that completed purchase uh, checkout page uh, adding yeah. to the audience, then you've got a bit of a dream there. That's really, mm-hmm. really amazing. And for us as email marketing geeks, the lot of us, you know, all of us here, uh, it's nice to think about using email marketing as a, as, as, a, as step one. It's basically the first port of call for our retargeting rather yeah. than thinking, oh, now I need to retarget it. Because um, actually it speeds up the the, uh, the implementation of any new campaign. If you're thinking, I'm not going to run a new campaign on my email marketing until I've got my audiences set up and I can do the retargeting ads. You don't need to do that just yet. Okay, collect the data. But actually if your initial port of call for retargeting and remarketing can just be another email campaign, that means you can we can actually probably start launching campaigns much, much quicker as well without having to think about all the different pieces of the puzzle. 
Yeah, exactly. And we had talked about different ways that you could reallocate the budget. You could conserve the budget. You could reallocate it in different ways. But if you start thinking about it this way, and if you have a really good email marketing program, this is all easiest if you have a really good email marketing program that everybody feels really comfortable and confident in, then you can start also thinking about how can reallo- how can we reallocate some of this media spend to capture more emails to get them into the program. And so there are just a lot of different ways that you can kind of approach this or um, you know, different directions that you can take it after you have it set up to say, how can we now even feed this to do more? How can we kind of expand upon this? This is really cool. And I'm actually going to go and look at my campaigns tomorrow. And it's the weekend, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to look at my campaigns and literally decide what's the situation. And a weekend email marketing for you, Robert. <laughs> I'm going to try and work out, crikey, how, how long can I give my email campaigns to do something else? This is so, so cool. Now, Amy, we're now going to jump over and find out your subject line of the week. Subject line of the week. Your favourite subject line of the week. So tell us about a subject line that you've had great success with or that you're really, really proud of. And then we'll have a little delve into why that's so good for you. Okay. <clears throat> so since I don't do as much email marketing anymore, I actually am borrowing subject lines that just caught my attention mm. um, in my own inbox. And so in my opinion, the best subject lines are concise, very relevant, um, which is typically as much a factor of segmentation as the subject line. But I especially like subject lines that have the problem they solve and the offer, but preferably in a kind of a quippy or clever way, assuming that that fits the brand tone. So one example is CVS, which is a a pharmacy drugstore that we have. Um, They started their subject line with no trick, just treat, save 30% on candy. And I like that because I thought it was catchy, relevant, caught my attention. Um, almost Halloween. So everybody's kind of buying candy. Right. But then I also had an email from TripAdvisor that says, your Dubai hotel, we found a lower price. It's concise. It describes the problem that they solve and it caught my attention, except I don't have any immediate plans to go to Dubai. So they broke that number one rule of being relevant because by saying your Dubai hotel, I'm automatically like, no, that's not for me because I don't have a Dubai hotel. Love it. That's really, really, really cool. We've talked about a lot of stuff in this episode. All the notes on that are exactly where, Robert? You'll find them over at blog.responsesuite.com forward slash sushi. That's where you'll find them. If you haven't already, thank you so... Well, first of all, thank you so much for being a great guest and sharing so much great stuff because we got loads out of it and know we're going to have loads of comments and stuff from listeners. So thanks for that. And if anybody's not already subscribed to the Email Marketing Show, make sure you hit that button on your favourite podcast player to subscribe. Yes, indeed. We are very, very excited. And, uh, oh, we didn't play the little outro for the subject line of the week there. Oh, do you want me to play the little outro? We'll we'll do that now. We'll do that now. Be professional. Subject line of the week. Subject line of the week. There we go. Subject line of the week. Yes. (laughs) Anyway, yes. So all all the show notes for that are at blog.responsesweek.com slash sushi. Now, Amy, where can people go to find out more about you and everything that you're doing? They can go to cultivativemarketing.com or they can find me on Twitter at Hoffman8. Amazing. Love that. Absolutely great. Thank you so much for being here. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for having me. The Email Marketing Show. The Email Marketing Show. There we go. I love that. That Very, very good. good.